0: Please turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Well, we're looking, uh, friends, this morning at these uh, verses as we continue our study in this letter of, the, of Paul to the Ephesians, and my title and subject is Becoming Better People, Becoming Better Christians. That's what we are here for after we are saved. It's not just to remain and wait until we get to heaven and just wait for that day. No, friends, there is a work uh, for us to do as believers. We are to be always Thinking about going forward in the Christian life, by making advance and progress as believers. There are always areas for us to arrive, to, to aim for. We can never say, I've arrived. I don't know, I don't know, I'm a holy, I'm perfect. Uh, some people used to teach that before, entire sanctification. But it's no such thing, friends, in this life. In this life, we are always uh, needing to move ahead. In holiness to pursue a holiness we don't, we pursue it we obtain holiness not by giant steps it's not by sudden leaps and bounds uh, in holiness that we grow it's by little steps taken day by day that we advance and uh, it's almost imperceptible if a person is advancing in this way day by day little by little, it's almost imperceptible to the eye. It's like, you could say, like a plant. You can't, if you observe a plant, you may sit and watch it. You'll never see it growing. But If you watch it today, and then you come back a week later, well, you'll see, oh, there's been some growth. And then a couple of weeks later, you will see it again growing. And at different periods of time, you can catch, and you observe, and you see it, its growth. It's the same for us. You can't see a person growing, if you see them after certain periods of time, and you can see, how oh, they've made advances. They've made progress uh, in their Christian lives. So growth is, is something of a gradual thing. But, and it's something that we should be concerned about. It, it's something that comes out in this verse. In that 32nd verse, we, we read, Be ye kind one to another. It's actually, in the Greek, become kind to one another. It's a process. Become kind. It's something that you're aiming for, something that you're, you're working at, something that you're training yourself for, something you're gearing yourself up for to advance in and all these other traits which are mentioned here. So bec- uh, become better people. Well, friends, this is sanctification, isn't it? And this is the battle for sanctification uh, that we have. No easy thing uh, to be sanctified no easy battle to be engaged in. But this is one of the battles we must be engaged in. If I am a believer here today, I must engage in this battle. I cannot abscond uh, from it. Of course, there are, it's not the only battle we face. There are other areas, other fronts we must fight on. There's a battle for truth. and so much error around. We have to hold up the truth. It's costly sometimes to do that. People won't like you for doing that, but we, we cannot, we must uh, uh, fight uh, for the truth, God's truth, of course. is a battle for souls. And again, we must be engaged in that work to win souls to the Lord, to rescue those who are perishing, to rescue those who are on their way to an eternal separation from God, an eternal hell. We have to, friends, be concerned for them. But here today, we're thinking more about this. Daily battle of sanctification. And we said this before, but I'd just like to say it again. This is a work for a believer. This is not really the work for a person who is an unbeliever. If, dear friend, you're here today, and you, you as yet you do not know the Lord, well, the first thing for you is to come to know Christ. The first thing to know for you is to know his salvation, to know forgiveness in your life to be reconciled again to God. The first thing for you is to believe in Him, and to come in repentance and faith and say to Christ, Lord, forgive me. I'm a terrible sinner. I've offended you. I've sinned against you. But thou art a merciful God, and Christ has died. Have mercy upon me and forgive me. Change my heart. Give me a new life. That's the first thing that is, uh, you must do then you could engage in this kind of work that we're talking about. But if you are a believer uh, here this morning, well, friends, you have an obligation to pursue holiness. It's not a take it or leave it option. You, You must. It's required of you as a believer. You are bought. You belong to Christ now. You have a duty, as it were, to pursue a holiness of life. Paul puts it like this. It comes across in a very gentle way. But actually, friends, everyone is like an imperative. It's a command. These are the kind of things uh, we must follow. Well, how are we to go about this work of sanctification? Some uh, well-intending believers, well, they've come out with this catchphrase, and you may have heard it, let go and let God. Let go and let God. When it comes to pursuing holiness, that's all that you need to do. In other words, don't struggle. Oh, you've been struggling, they say, against sin. You've been struggling and fighting against sin and you've not been making any progress. Oh, stop struggling, they said. Just abide in Christ. Just abide in Him. Let Him do everything. Uh, Take your foot off the pedal, as it were, and and just relax and let Christ uh, uh, in and let Him do everything for you. You haven't overcome your sin You haven't uh, been victorious. That's not the way to go about it, they say. Stop fighting, they say. And just uh, trust God. Let go and let God do it for you. Well, is it true? Is it biblical? It sounds good, isn't it? It sounds a very spiritual thing to do. And some of us have been there and have tried it. But it's not biblical, friends. It's not really what the Bible is teaching us. The Bible teaches us, as we saw not so long ago, put off and put on. Who's to put off? The believer. Believer is to put off the old man. The believer is to put on the new man. This is uh, the biblical way. You must, yes, you must pray. You must ask God for help with those things that, that, that are, are, uh, are still uh, troublesome and sinful in your life. But you also have to be engaged in this work. It's not just pray to God and just ask him to do it. No, friends, you must also get involved. You have to put off that evil thought with God's help. You have to put away those lies. You have to kill that angry, bitter, resentful thoughts that have been uh, annoying you and troubling you. You have to batter it. You have to hammer it. The word the Bible uses is it, kill it suffocate it get rid of it that's the way to deal with it murder it is what the Bible says kill it that's how we are to deal with our sins not in a pally pally way but we are to deal uh, we we ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit are to be involved in this work and we put off and we put on you must do both Uh, the positive side put on truth we put on kind words in the home and to kind thoughts towards, towards others, especially those uh, who are close to us in the church, in the home, with tender-heartedness, all these areas we're trying to put on uh, day by day. And then we have to say, it's no easy task to do these things. We're so used to that old way of living. We're so used to the old way of thinking and feeling, it's not an easy thing to do. Sanctification is no, not smooth sailing. It's something that at times your old sins will cry out. Remember how King Agag, when he, when he came before Samuel in the Old Testament, and he, he, uh, he thought, Oh, the day of death is past, and now it's time for me to live. Let me live. And uh, Samuel wouldn't have anything to do with it, and he hewed him to pieces because that's what he deserved. And that's what you must do, friends. Your old sins will constantly cry out, let me live, let me breathe, let me speak to you. Don't let them do it. Don't let them do it. Don't give them a year. Don't listen to them. Silence them, hush them, gag them. Do what you must. If you let them speak to you, oh, they will trouble you. They will annoy you. They will disturb you. So, friends, no easy battle. And sometimes we're weary uh, in the battle. We must continue uh, in it until we, the law calls us home. So let's, with that just introduction, let's just look at these verses in particular. Uh, verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That word corrupt means rotten, or uh, like rotten fruit, or like, Putrid, something that is worthless. That kind of communication. Don't let any rotten communication come out of your mouth. Keep a guard over your tongue. Uh, is something that we sang and read uh, uh, earlier in Psalm 141. Well, when we were unbelievers, we didn't keep any guard over our tongue. We were once that weren't so concerned about the things that we said. We said, really, whatever we thought, whatever we felt, maybe we just came out with it. Oh, sometimes we were careful. We didn't want to hurt other people. But sometimes we did. Sometimes we wanted to hurt other people with our words. And sometimes we used our words as weapons to, uh, to attack others. We deliberately used words to needle others, to needle uh, uh, people, even maybe who are close uh, to us to provoke others, to hurt others, to get our own back. Oh, the, our words uh, can be so, uh, uh, such a terrible uh, weapon. Such a, a lot of damage is done through words. Words sometimes are angry words, bitter words. Words sometimes are used to ridicule others, put other people down. Oh, friends, what kind of corrupt language uh, there is uh, that, that, that's possible with the tongue. Of course, this corrupt language includes all kinds of foul language, obscenities and swearing. We know that. But also other kinds of conversation, uh, uh, filthy jokes, uh, lads talk, they call it sometimes. But it's, uh, it's rotten friends. Oh, don't get me wrong. There is a place for humor there's a place for wittiness and some jesting, and some people are very uh, uh, good at that. There's a place for lightheartedness. We're not saying you have to be, go around with a somber face all the time and only speak very somber things. But no, uh, we have to be careful, though, about those words which are rotten and harmful. Gossiping words, backbiting words, proud, angry. Oh, the list could go on and on and on, isn't it, of the kind of ways in which we misuse our communication. But we want to be careful with our words because it can corrupt our listeners. That's what Paul is saying. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. It can make affect people in a negative way, what you say. I can tell you uh, I was not so long ago about a, a brother. I was talking to him. And he was telling me about his regret, uh, his regret because another uh, Christian brother had uh, passed away and uh, he had broken off contact uh, with that brother. And I was surprised because I knew that they were quite close friends and I knew they were uh, used to be in the same church and they used to talk often to one another and be in one another's uh, homes and uh, often fellowship over a meal. And so I was surprised to hear this brother say that he'd broken of contact. And I said, and why? Why did, why did that happen? Why, why, didn't, why did you lose contact? And he said, well, somebody else whispered in his ear something about this brother. Somebody else told him something, and he believed those things. But now it's too late. He regretted it, and he re- regretted listening. But see, friends, uh, how negative comments, how gossip, how un- unconfirmed words can uh, lead uh, to uh, affect others' in a negative way so we have to be uh, careful with what our words are the way we use our words but there is also here a positive side paul is also saying put off these things but also uh, pay attention to your words make an effort here to speak positively or rather to speak helpfully uh, to other people especially to those who are your brethren uh, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The word "they good" means beneficial or profitable. Speak those things that are going to be helpful uh, to others in some way or other. Let your words uh, build up others instead of tearing them down. Use it uh, for the good of other people that word edification as you know i'm sure means to build up like a building that is being erected it goes up little by little so your words can contribute to a person's spiritual growth in some way or other so build it up don't tear it down and i was uh, in china i saw something quite unusual never seen before and that was uh, that was women who were working on a, on, a, on a building site, but they were not building up the building, they were actually raising it to the ground. But the thing that really struck me was that they were using their hands and hand tools to actually demolish this building. They weren't using machinery, they were using their own tools. Or their, uh, basic, and some of them were actually going brick by brick to demolish this building. But we don't want to do that with our words. Our words can uh, build up a person, it can uh, uh, bring a person down. Paul says, "Use it uh, for good," and it suggests to us, doesn't it, that we must plan what we're going to say to people, and think about how can I help others, how can I uh, benefit others. This, uh, when he says these, let no corrupt communication, but that which is good, that to the use of edifying. Well, it suggests to us that we should think about what we want to say. How can I? say something that will be helpful to a brother or a sister. Maybe I can tell them about an answer to prayer that I've had recently, or something that I've learned from my Bible reading, or maybe it's a, an experience I've had of the Lord in some way or other, or a doctrine that I'm learning about and thinking about and have questions about, and maybe I can talk about that with, with others. Well, in this way, we, we can be of great help Uh, to our uh, brothers and sisters and not just engage in a sense in just idle uh, chit-chat. Actually, what the Greek here, the way the Greek puts it is a little bit more specific than this. When it says here, it's good, that which is good to the use of edifying, the Greek actually has it in a slightly different way, a more specific way. Rather than just saying anything into the air and hoping, as it were, that what you say is going to be of benefit, the Greek suggests that there is, you're, you're specially targeting uh, with your words a specific occasion or a specific need in that person's life. The Greek says it like this, the edification of the need rather than the use of edifying. In other words, that your words fit the occasion let your words be appropriate for what a person is going through. You see where they are, Maybe you see that they are sad and disconsolate, and you come along with a word of comfort. Or you see that they are straying, uh, going astray in some way, and you, you come with a word to bring them back, to remind them of their responsibility before God in, in some way or other. Or you see somebody who's struggling maybe with a theologi- theological difficulty, and you, again, you come. Maybe you've got the answer. You know what, what's the answer to his question. And you come alongside that friend and you explain to him what's, what's going on. Or maybe it's an, an unbeliever. It's that opportunity. You, you know that person's need is to hear the gospel, to hear of Christ, and so you come alongside them and speak. You're using your words in a specific and a more direct way. Paul did this thing often. Just recently, I read of his letter to the Thessalonians, and you see how well they, they, there was a, a they had a concern. They were anxious: what's going to happen to those Christians who have died, and who have uh, what's going to happen to them when the Lord comes back again? And he wrote, wrote to instruct them and to comfort them. And he said to them, "Isn't it? Don't worry about them. When Christ returns, they will be raised up first. And those who are remaining on the earth, they also will, together with those who have been raised up, meet the Lord uh, in the air. And we read there that he, he spoke these words, he taught them, but then he said, comfort one another with these words. So he addressed a very uh, specific uh, needs, and that's, in that way uh, he was using his communication, we could say, for the, uh, for the good, uh, to the use of uh, edifying. So this is how uh, we must also, friends, uh, seek to be a blessing uh, to our brothers and our sisters uh, as well. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 covers this nicely. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. And then verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed, unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, the one who is equal with the Father and the Son, the one who is merciful and gracious and kind and pitting and loving and holy as God is in all those ways. The very uh, same attributes that belong to the Father and the Son belong to the Holy Spirit too. He's a person, friends. We must say this as well today. Because so many think of the Holy Spirit as just a force. Just recently there was a survey carried out among evangelicals in the U.S. Do you know what? When they were asked this question, is the Holy Spirit a force or is he a person? Over 50% of these American evangel- uh, evangelicals said a force. They didn't even know the basic Bible teaching that he is not an it the Holy Spirit is a person and that's what that's what he uh, that's how even here we read he can be uh, grieved but what a glorious person he is what a kind person he is how much he has done for us as believers how much good he has done we would never have come to Christ without the spirit of God unless he had awakened us unless he had regenerated us to him we owe our regeneration to him we owe our holy thoughts and our holy feelings if you've made friends any advance in holiness it's because of the Holy Spirit he's the one who has helped you Uh, and uh, he's the one who has brought you on you've learned things from the scriptures he's the one who has taught you these things how much we owe uh, to him so, we don't want to grieve him. We think, you can think back of your, the time when you were converted and that time when the Holy Spirit first came into your heart and into your life. What did he find there? Oh, such horrible things. Such ugly things were found in our hearts. Such vile things to him. Such unholy things. Yes, we were saved. Yes, we were forgiven. But then we, he still had to clean us out, as it were. Self-love, he found there. Impatience, self-pity, envies, pride, hatred maybe. All these things maybe were still in us as traits. And he's come in and he's changed us. And by his grace, he's made us better than what we were on the day of our conversion. He's had to put up with all these things. But he's come so graciously. So Paul says, don't grieve him. Don't grieve him. We can grieve him. Well, actually, the word grieve here means to cause distress, to cause somebody to be sorrowful. Now, the Holy Spirit cannot be made sorrowful and grieve like we do. He, he doesn't share the same passions that we do. But he is affected. He, is, he feels it when we sin, even now. If we give in to this corrupt kind of communication, if we use bad words if we give in to anger, all these sins which are mentioned here, oh friends, then the Holy Spirit feels these things. If we harbour resentments in our hearts, if we're unwilling to forgive others, then he feels these things and he is affected by them. And then you know what he'll do? Well, he will draw his presence from you for a while until there is repentance until there is a restoration and reconciliation with him and an acknowledgement that we have done the wrong. Oh, friends, uh, we must be uh, careful uh, to not to grieve our heavenly friend who has come to aid us and help us and bless us. But then verse 31, and I'm sorry this, if this is sounding all a bit negative, but that's, verse 31 is, is even more negative in a sense. And there are some horrible things which are are mentioned here, but uh, some horrible traits and feelings, but we have to mention it. Uh, Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Well, (coughs) you may ask, hasn't Paul already talked about anger already? There in verse 26, Be angry and sin not. We looked at that previously. Yes, he has. But what's he doing here now? Mentioning it again. Well, he's going into detail. Before he mentioned it in a general way, now he's going into detail. Before he mentioned the family name, you could say. He mentioned the surname, Anger. Now he's telling us about the children that belong in this family. Bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking and so on and so on. So he's going into a little uh, detail here. It's like you could say a mini Theosaurus. Look up the word anger, and these are the words the Bible returns back to you bitterness, and anger, and wrath, and so on. Well, I'm just going to mention these uh, in passing bitterness, that inner unhappiness, that resentment uh, of others, a sour spirit, maybe a brooding. Uh, over wrongs, real and imaginary. We know that there are genuine grievances in life uh, and people really do offend us. But don't dwell on it, friends. Don't dwell on these things. Don't nurse your grievances. You'll only become more bitter. Wrath, what's that? Well, that's a sudden outburst of anger, a rage. Some people call it a short madness, uh, a wrath. Anger. Well, that's, we could say, a long madness because it's more settled and it stays in the mind for a longer period of time. Clamor. Well, that's a cry, a shriek, uh, a sh- shouting. And again, we, we see this and it so often uh, men or women shouting at each other or in an uncontrolled way, brawling, and then evil speaking, vilifying somebody. uh Verbal abuse. This kind of thing uh, we, which again uh, deliberately saying things to harm others and enjoying doing it. You see this on social media, isn't it, today? You only have to look on Facebook or Twitter, if you have a Twitter account and you can see s- so much of this happening. People going on, the, on, on that, those platforms vilifying others, disparaging others, slurring and slandering others and getting away, getting away with it. Oh friends, the believer has to be so careful about these things. Malice, with all malice, that's the worst thing. The word means badness. And anger, that's developed into hatred. A hatred that again takes delight in harming others. It could be done with malicious gossip. And how much harm has been done to a person's reputation because... Of malicious gossip. Well, Paul says, Put away uh, these things from you. Put them far away as a believer. But then let's uh, look finally at verse uh, 32 and something a little bit more uh, positive. Here, be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Colossians 3. Verse 12 and 13 says something similar. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, Uh, let them come from right within you, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Be ye kind one to another. Become kind in your disposition. Cultivate kindness in your life. Yes, be good-natured. Yes, be gentle and good, have a goodwill towards others, a desire for their happiness. It has the idea more of usefulness. A person who is on the lookout. How can I help other people? How can I be a blessing to other people? Somebody who sees uh, sees a brother or a sister struggling with a burden or a problem in their life and they want to come alongside that person and help them attached to this kindness. It's not just a feeling, but it's a desire and intention to come and help uh, that person. Oh, friends, the next one is something we also so need tender-hearted to be pity, uh, to be sympathetic to others, to have a feeling for other people who are, who are struggling. Or oh, we live in such a callous age. We see, yes, some uh, compassion extended to people. But generally speaking, I think we are becoming more and more indifferent to the plight of our neighbours and to the plight of those who are really struggling. There's a coldness. There's a, there's a hardness that is developing in us. But we mustn't allow that to happen to us as believers Tender hearted way, pitying way. That's how God has dealt with you and me in kindness and gentleness. And He's felt for us. That's what the word mercy means pity. God has had mercy upon us. God has taken pity on us. He's seen our plight. He's seen that we were perishing. He's seen that we were ruining ourselves by our sins. And He came alongside and did something about us. He acted in kindness towards us and mercy and pity and tenderness. Can't we all say that? God has dealt gently, tenderly with me and not dealt with me as my sins deserve. He felt for us. God felt for me, yes. Christ felt for me, yes. He felt such pity. He went all the way to the cross to obtain forgiveness for me. And then, uh, lastly, forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Oh, there will be trouble. There will be offenses, even in the church. We do not want to see it. We do not wish it. But we cannot help it. There will be at times people will tread on our toes. And how do we handle that? Well, if it's a a small issue, if it's a minor infraction, overlook it. We've said this before many times. Overlook it. Don't make a big thing out of it. Forgive in your heart, that person, and carry on. Treat them as if they're uh, with forgiveness and kindness still. Of course, if it's a major offense, then it would, you'd have to deal with it in a different way. But still, and we haven't got time to go into that, uh, that way, that method, but you can read it in Matthew's Gospel, how we are to go to that brother or sister to show them their fault and to try and bring them to repentance. But we should ever be ready to forgive others, even in that period of time, never holding on to any grudges, even with, where, where there are very real offences that have happened against us, remembering in our minds, in our hearts, ever keeping before us, oh, the great debt I owe, I owe to God, who has forgiven me all my sins. Oh, it's no exaggeration, friends, to say that God has forgiven how many how many sins? Hundreds of thousands of times that I've offended him. Hundreds, or oh, it more? because it going to the millions? That God has forgiven me as an individual. And every time I've come to him and repented and confessed to him, he's been quick to forgive and to pardon me again. Oh, uh, how, how thankful we are for that. We must be of a light disposition towards our brothers and our sisters to be forgiving in our minds and in our hearts and in our uh, uh, day-to-day interaction with one another what a difference friends conversion makes isn't it to our relationship with each other before how well, we felt free to indulge in those unkind words and bitter thoughts towards others now by grace has changed us and we desire to think and feel and be better Uh, people uh, with one another, to be tender-hearted and kind and forgiving people. Well, May the Lord help us to do these things. But before I close, just one question. Dear friends, do you know? Do you know God's forgiveness in your life? It's possible for you to know it uh, here. Can you say today that your sins are forgiven? If not, come to Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus Christ into the world so that we may come to him and have all our sins against him forgiven and pardoned. There on the cross, he took the punishment of all his people's sins, of all who will trust in him. He made a way for us to be forgiven. Have you come to him? Come to him this morning even and say to him, Lord, I've offended you. Have mercy on me. Forgive me. Give me a new heart, give me a new life, make me your child. And you hear you pray, well he will bless you in this way. Well may Lord uh, help us in all these things. Let's close by singing our final hymn, which is number three hundred and fourteen. Three hundred and fourteen.